0: The love kind of makes me want to have some more kids. What, that's not a proper response? I mean, can you ever really have enough kids? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. Two police officers, they both had diamonds trapped on the soles of their boots. I had been a police officer with Los Angeles Police Department for just about a year, year and a half. Uh, I had been trained in the LAPD Police Academy, I was part of the Boys in Blue, I was a crime fighter. My partner and I were working the night shift, and I had just turned around uh, an area that was known for burglary theft, when over the radio, we receive a call, 9 Adam 37, respond code 3 to a burglary in progress. And so, as the heart begins to pump, my partner grabs the radio, 9 Adam 37, responding code 3. And at that point, he flips on the lights and the sirens, and I began to drive, the way that I had always wanted to drive a motor vehicle in the streets of Los Angeles. (laughs) Fast. So there we were, responding to a burglary in progress, which means the burglar is still there. So that's all the more reason to get there. We pull up around the corner, lights and sirens off. You don't want to scare the guy away, right? You want to catch him. Uh, Come in, gun out... You know, Texans, I know you can appreciate this, right? My partner and I, all the tactics we had been trained, come into the store. He immediately clears the left side. I go to the right. Up, down, left, right. Where is he? We're walking, looking. We clear the store. The guy was a coward. He's not even there. So we're like, yeah, that's right. I'd be scared too if I knew I was coming. (laughs) My partner was John Wayne. Always had my back. So then I realize, as I'm looking at... You know, the first you get in there, you're just thinking threat, right? But then you put the gun away, and imagine my surprise to discover that thousands upon thousands of glittering, sparkling diamonds had been spilled all over the floor of my side (laughs) of the jewelry store. Because in his haste to flee, he had basically dumped an armload of diamonds. So i call the owner the owner comes much to his dismay we do the police report he calls someone to come board up the windows and secure the place my partner and i turn around walk back to our car another job well done and so as i'm walking out to my car i realize i've got something stuck in the soles of my shoes and so i sit down in the police car Imagine my surprise, thinking to find a twig or a rock or something, only to discover that I had thousands of dollars worth of glittering diamonds trapped in the soles of my boots. I was faced with a dilemma. Nobody had seen me take anything. I didn't even know I had taken anything. The owner's insurance would cover every last drop of diamonds that had been removed unless we forget my wife likes diamonds which were a little bit difficult to afford on a police officer's salary at that moment i was struck with temptation what to do without taking another step i got up turned around and walked those diamonds back into the store to a very grateful and somewhat surprised jeweler. I mean, it's often the case that temptation strikes unexpectedly, isn't it? Uh, you can't sign up for a service that sends you a text, uh, warning, warning, in five seconds you will be struck with temptation. Five, four, three, two, one, boom. Oh yeah, you're right. I am tempted. It doesn't happen that way, does it? In fact i've been out of the country a while here in texas we have these new billboards they change you know it's like a big tv screen that's got to be distracting you know you're driving along the side of the road it doesn't say hey you yeah you yeah you in the red car you're about to be tempted you don't get warned most of the time do you temptation usually strikes when you least expect it And what happens? As Christians, we can be tempted to rationalize our sin, to to make excuses for it, just like all of the rationalization that was going through my mind as I thought about these diamonds trapped in the soles of my shoes. And so we rationalize. We give in to that sin. And then what happens? After we've tasted the forbidden fruit, what happens? The first thing that comes to my mind usually is, how do I hide this? How do I cover it up? men you're checking your email and a pop-up screen comes up on your screen inviting you to click on something to look at something that you know very well you should not be looking at and in that moment of temptation what do you do how will you respond ladies you come to ladies bible study monday morning monday night whenever that happens Uh, and you walk in these doors and you see a group of ladies talking using their hands very very intent and as you get closer you realize they're talking about that lady you know that lady the one that kind of is God's way of keeping you humble the one that's kind of challenging to like a little bit problem on two legs you know that lady the minute I said that her, her face popped into your mind you're like oh yeah that lady the one that you're like oh there she is did she see me did she see me did she see me and you realize as you walk up to this group they're not saying positive things about the lady they're tearing her down they're gossiping about her and you walk up and there's that moment of awkward silence where all of the heads turn to look at you almost like do you have anything to add what do you do how do you respond You don't want to be the only one who's not participating. When temptation strikes, how will you respond? If we're not properly prepared to respond to temptation, we might rationalize the sin, give in to the sin, and then try to hide it. Well, this morning, we are going to determine how to be Prepared to respond properly to temptation. How to be prepared to respond properly to temptation? And our text this morning is Genesis chapter twenty-six, verses one to eleven. And in Genesis chapter twenty-six, verses one to eleven, we find a man with diamonds trapped in the soles of his sandals. So turn with me to Genesis twenty-six, one to eleven. This morning we will examine two basic responses to temptation two basic responses to temptation and as we examine these responses hopefully we are going to end with some application that will hopefully prepare us to respond when temptation strikes so the first response to temptation is this trust and obey it's just that simple trust and and obey. The first response to temptation is to trust and obey. When you discover diamonds trapped in the soles of your shoes, the first response is trust God and obey. We find this in verses 1 to 6. Follow along as I read verse 1 of Genesis chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar abimelech king of the philistines notice the context the opening of the story there is a famine in the land what does famine mean usually what death right what causes famine god prevents rain and when there's no rain what happens to the crops they die and we as texans we know when you have no feed for your animals what happens to them they die so now you have no crops you have no animals no milk no chickens no eggs what's the next step you have no food the rivers and the lakes begin to up. now you have no water so when there is famine what is the logical response flee to find food Wherever there is food, wherever there is rain, wherever there is substance, go or your family is going to die. And that is the context of our story. In fact, these verses are almost an exact parallel of the same things that had happened to Isaac's father Abraham almost 90 years before. If we had the time, we could look at that story in Genesis 12. But then in verse 2, notice what God commands Isaac. Genesis 26 verse 2 And the Lord appeared to him Now don't miss that What does that mean? There wasn't just a voice or a feeling It said God appeared to him Okay And said this Do not go down to Egypt Stay in the land of which I shall tell you Wow Does that make any sense to you? remember what is going on in the land there's famine in fact isaac is probably passing through gerar on his way to egypt because egypt has food and in the midst of this journey god appears to isaac and says don't go to the place where there's food does that make any logical rational sense to you not really Against all human wisdom, God commands Isaac not to go find food in Egypt. Why would God command this? Well, let's get a little context that will help us understand why God commands this. Turn with me back to Genesis 12. Genesis chapter 12, we find something known as the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. This is a covenant, basically a promise that God makes to Isaac's father, Abraham. And this is the promise. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's basically three elements to this promise that God makes to Abraham. Seed, land, and blessing. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to, from your loins, basically, make you into a great nation that would become the nation of what? Israel and I'm going to bless you and those who bless you I'm going to bless and those who curse you I'm going to curse but the blessing doesn't stop there doesn't. it? notice what it says at the end of verse 3 and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so through the nation of Israel comes blessing to the rest of the Gentile nations now unless you are Jewish you like me are a Gentile and because of this passage we understand now this side of the cross what that means don't we Because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because he died for our sin in our place so that we might find forgiveness of our sins because Christ atoned for our sins. We might have, through faith, life eternal. And that's really what God is promising Abram. Through the literal lineage of Israel would come a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one and so that's kind of the backdrop of our story but of course god doesn't stop there just to make it clear look at genesis 17 genesis 17 verse 21 genesis seventeen, twenty-one. but my covenant i will establish with isaac whom sarah will bear to you at this season next year god didn't want abraham to think this promise is going to end when i die and so he tells Abraham, look This son that's going to come a year from now, Isaac, this promise is going to continue through him. Now, do you think Isaac knew that? Do you think Abraham had shared this with his son? Do you think Isaac would be wondering, hey, dad, why are you about to stab a knife through my chest? Uh, Why are we doing this? Uh, And then God does what? Provides a ram. God continues his faithful promise. Do you think Isaac understood this covenantal promise? I think so and so now we come to genesis 26 and god says isaac don't do what everyone else is doing do what i tell you to do does that make sense now this is a promise a continuation of the covenant and so then in verses three to five will tell us what will happen if isaac obeys god's command again god is very clear notice what he says in verse three Sojourn in this land. That literally means settle. It literally means to sojourn means to dwell in the Hebrew. So Isaac, take out your tent, put it up, and drive in tent pegs. This is home. That's what he means. In the middle of a famine? Yeah. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. I mean, can you think of any more comforting words? The God of all creation, is telling Isaac, I will be with you. He doesn't stop there. And bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. There's the land, there's the seed. And will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be... Bless. There's the blessing. You see the three elements that we saw in Genesis 12 to Abraham? They're right here. God is reaffirming this covenant that he made with Abraham with Isaac. Isaac, don't forget. Don't forget the promise I made your father. I am with you and I will do these things. Why? Is it because you're worthy? Is it because you're obedient? No. Because I am a covenant, faithful, keeping God. Yahweh. Everybody else is going to Egypt to look for food. But God says, I will be with you. I will bless you. Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statues, and my laws. God blessed him. Everyone else is going to Egypt. God reassures Isaac, Isaac, if you obey me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you. And so this story makes it clearer. If they were to enjoy the promised blessing and provision, the protection of God, then they must exercise faith in God and His promised word. And isn't that what true faith in God does? Doesn't true faith in God produce fearless obedience? Dare I say a lifestyle of fearless obedience? Because in the face of danger or difficult circumstances, if I know God is with me, then whatever happens is what God wants. And it's to his glory and for my good. That's what true faith should do. And Isaac is thinking, I will be with you. God said, I will be with you. I will bless you. Isaac had a choice. He could listen to the Lord. He could remember God's faithfulness, the promise that he had made to Abraham. He could remember all of the faithful things that God had done to his father and his mother. He could trust in the word of Yahweh and obey, or he could give in to the temptation to go to Egypt to try to find food on his own. Do you feel the dilemma? I mean, I don't know about you. I've never been in a famine. I, I, there's always a Walmart nearby. Even in Albania, we have stores. There's chickens running all over the place. I've never experienced famine. And I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. This would be tough. God, there's no food. How are you going to provide for us? But notice what verse 6 says. So Isaac lived in Gerar. What did Isaac do? He trusted God and he obeyed. He trusted God and he obeyed. When faced with the fear of famine, Isaac trusted God and obeyed. And we know God provided for Isaac because look at verses 12 to 14 in that same chapter. Now Isaac sowed in that land. What land? Gerar. He sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. God blessed him a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. In fact, God's blessing for Isaac became such a problem that even the pagan Gentiles were beginning to covet what he had. And later on in Genesis 35, it tells us that Isaac lived to be 180 years old. God blessed him. God protected him. God sustained the life of Isaac now isaac could have rationalized why it was better to go to egypt to look for food rather than to trust the lord and obey i mean isaac could have said god you you don't really understand my needs i've looked everywhere there are no food there's no food there's no water god you don't understand he could have said hey everyone else is doing it everybody god he could have said this is the only way for us to survive Isaac could have rationalized why disobedience was the best choice he could have doubted the continued promise of blessing passed down from his father Abraham he could have doubted the very words of God but he didn't he trusted God's wisdom rather than his own he trusted, obeyed and God took care of him God blessed him When we're tempted to make excuses for sin Whether it's lustfully taking a quick look Or whether it's letting an unwholesome word come out of our mouth When we discover diamonds trapped in the soles of our shoes We have to be prepared to trust and obey the Lord In fact the words of Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 to 6 remind us of this Trust in the Lord with what? No, no, just trust Him when it makes sense, right? trust him when it fits your circumstances trust when when you can rationally see okay God I see where you're going with this if, if I do this then you're going to do this and then that's going to go there right is that what the verse says no trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding even if it makes sense to you and you're on your understanding you're saying that doesn't make sense God don't lean don't trust in your own understanding and what does the verse say in all your ways not most not when it's convenient in all your ways acknowledge him god you are god alone and i am not and in every situation of my life every circumstance that i find myself i acknowledge that you know better than me you are god and you know what you're my god In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He might, sometimes, He what? He will! Because that's the kind of God God is. He will make your path straight. It may seem like we know best, but we must be prepared to trust God when we discover diamonds trapped in the soles of our shoes. When we're tempted to trust the lie of sin that promises lasting pleasure and fulfillment, we must immediately fight it with the truth that sin ultimately brings pain and death and that Christ alone is all satisfying. And sadly, our world is filled with those who ignore God and give into the temptation to do whatever they want, isn't it? I mean, it's almost sad. It's depressing to turn on the news nowadays. And you just see all kinds of horrific things happening. We see the consequences of those enslaved to immorality on the Internet in our marriages and in our families in fact I was looking at a statistic of pastors who are enslaved and struggling to overcome the sin of sexual immorality it is staggering how many pastors are struggling with this and gossiping about others it feels good doesn't it I mean I don't know about you ladies but I would much rather have them talking about that lady than me these are just two examples aren't there I mean if we did open mic and we had you come one by one and share your struggles your temptations we would have a host of temptations of course none of them would be uncommon would they there wouldn't be anything new you'd be like hey I struggle with that hey I struggle with that but that's another message (laughs) what is the temptation you most often face Christian brother sister What do you struggle with the most? What are you fighting? Even maybe right now? Because I am here to tell you that God's word tells you how to respond to it. It Tells you how to prepare your heart for it when it strikes. Tells you what to do and how to respond. God's word commands us to flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee it! That pop-up comes up. You know what? I don't even want to think about it. I want to get up, get out of my chair, open up my Bible, and renew my mind. And after all, what does Ephesians 4.29 say? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Not not a one. An unwholesome word that tears others down. It doesn't build them up, it tears them down. Don't let any of those words out of my mouth. God's word is clear. And for every temptation that you could share into this microphone, we could open up to the Word of God and say, well, this is what God's Word says. But I fear that today in the church we have lost hope in God's Word. And when we lose hope in God's Word, who are we really losing hope in? The God who spoke. That, that's faith. It's a lack of faith. We must fight the temptation to sin by trusting God to bless Obedience. Isaac trusted the word of the Lord. He obeyed. God took care of him. And we, like Isaac, must be prepared to respond to temptation by trusting God to bless obedience and obey. Brother, sister, you find diamonds trapped in the soles of your shoes, you trust God. And you say, you know what? I know what God wants me to do in this situation. You get up and you walk him back in, right? Well, there's a second response to temptation. You see this one coming, don't you? If the first response is to trust God and obey... Then the second response is to do the opposite. To disbelieve and disobey. To disbelieve and disobey. And in verses 7 to 11, we find this second response to temptation. Follow along as I read back in Genesis 26, verses 7 to 11. Now when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say, My wife thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of rebecca for she is beautiful and it came about when he had been there a long time that abimelech king of the philistines looked out through a window and saw and behold isaac was caressing his wife rebecca then abimelech called isaac and said behold certainly she is your wife exclamation point (laughs) how then did you say she is my sister and Isaac said to him because I said lest I die on account of her and Abimelech said what is this you have done to us one of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us so Abimelech charged all the people saying he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death Isaac comes and in his fear he lies to the men of Gerar The king accidentally discovers the lie and confronts him. Boy, what a contrast between Isaac's first response to temptation and his second. Do you see that? What an amazing contrast. But notice, this time it's not fear of famine that Isaac is facing. What is it? It's fear of what? Fear of man. Fear of death. He was afraid that these Philistine men would kill him in order to take his beautiful wife, Rebecca. Because he forgot. I will be with you. The all-powerful God had told him, I will be with you. I will take care of you. Listen to me. Trust me. Do it my way, and I will be with you. He forgot. He gave in the temptation to lie about who Rebecca was. And, you know, because this normally makes sense, you you try to cover it up, right? That that always makes it better, right? He hides it. He covers it up. And then in verse 8, it tells us that he lived there in that place for how long? How long did he get away with it? A long time. He was good at covering up his sins. Sometimes we're good at covering up our sin, aren't we? He was there a long time. You know, I just want to pause a moment and just remind us that if you are ever, 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 ever tempted to give in to temptation to sin because you think that you can hide it and cover it up and no one is ever going to find out, just remember the words of Numbers 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Right? It doesn't matter how good you are at covering up your sin. God's going to uncover it. If you're a child of his. He's going to uncover it. And how does God uncover Isaac's lie? Verse 8. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out through a window and saw. And what does he see? Isaac caressing his wife. You know, in the Hebrew, this word, uh, in the way grammatically it's being used in this text, is very clear that this word caressing is not like, you know, patty cake, patty cake. You know, it's not, hey, let me give you a little back massage. Uh, This is the kind of behavior that takes place between a husband and a wife, normally behind closed doors. Okay? So when it says caressing, that's kind of the PG version. But that's what's going on here. Now, think about this: Did King Abimelech accidentally happen to be at the right place at just the right time at that moment that caressing is taking place at that very window? The king, not just some servant, the king looks out a window and sees this. That was an all, all an accident, right? Was it? Absolutely not because our God is sovereign and he orders these events why to uncover what Isaac had so carefully covered up to bring it to light so Isaac gets uncovered <laughs> of course what motivated him to give into to this temptation to lie what is he afraid of somebody said it over here he's afraid of what death who was he afraid of the philistine pagans that they're going to kill him and again does this remind you of another story another man who lied about the same thing Uh, father's day you talk about the sins of generations being passed on just remember mom dad our kids are always watching us they're always learning they're always emulating uh, there was a period in our time in Albania where the government decided to cut off our water because they were going to put new water pipes in. The problem was they weren 't prepared to put the new ones in, so when they cut the water pipes, we had nine weeks where we had no water. It just We had no water in our house. Our, there was 18 homes in our neighborhood that had no water for nine weeks. Um, I, I would be lying to you if i didn 't say I struggled with that. Uh, grumbling and complaining. Was a constant friend, sadly. Uh, and my kids would be, ah, Dad, when is this? they're grumbling and complaining? I'm like, hey kids, stop grumbling and complaining. And then I'm like, wait a minute, they learned that from me. Right? And so even here you see Isaac following in the footsteps of his father. He's afraid. Now go back to verses 3 to 5. What did God promise? I will what? be with you i will bless you i'll protect you i'm going to make you into a great nation and through them i'm going to bless the world god promised he would take care of isaac but rather than placing his trust in the lord which would have resulted in what if isaac had trusted god what would he have said to the philistines this is my wife and i love her and we've been married a while And I know she's like really good looking, but she's mine. And oh, by the way, my God is bigger than your God's. Right? That's what would have happened. But he had forgotten. He acted shamefully out of fear. He deceived and disobeyed when he allowed his fear of man to override his trust in the Lord. And in the end, King Abimelech caught him in his lie. And God used a foreign king to uncover Isaac's deception. This reminds us of an important truth, doesn't it? Deception and disobedience always have painful consequences. Deception and di- disobedience always have painful consequences. Isn't that what Colossians 3.25 says? Colossians 3.25 says, He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. It says will, not might, not possibly. It says you basically will sow or reap what you sow. You will. And so in our story here, Isaac is humiliated. And quite frankly, God is thought to be unworthy of obedience. This doesn't just affect Isaac's testimony, it affects who? The testimony of his God. The uncovering of his lie showed that he had acted in bad faith with the Philistines isaac's lie made rebecca available to other men that's what it means in verse 10 when this pagan king says what is this you have done to us one of the people might easily have lain with your wife you would have brought guilt upon us that word guilt in the hebrew literally means consequences because of wrongdoing because of wrongdoing there are consequences attached to this that's what that word guilt means literally in in those days what was the punishment for adultery death but here's an even bigger picture instead of being an avenue of god's blessing to the nations the means through which god's blessing would come because of isaac's action if somebody had taken his wife and lain with her what would god have done to that person and that nation remember think back to genesis 12 Those that bless you I will bless and those that curse you, what? I will curse. You ever wondered why there's people groups in the Old Testament that we don't have today? You ever wonder that? Have you met an Edomite lately? No. You know why? They cursed God's people. And when you curse God's people, God has promised, I'm going to curse you. And when God curses you, is that a good thing? No. And so you don't exist anymore. You're dead. And all your brothers and sisters and family members god keeps his promises think about what would have happened if guilt had been fully fulfilled in this story what would god have been required to do to this people group erase them so instead of being an avenue of blessing isaac's sin actually was would have become an avenue of god's wrath and his curse And so that's why in verse 12, Abimelech issues this charge for all the people not to touch Isaac or Rebekah. If people were mad, like, hey, let's beat him up. Let's show him how upset we are. Or if somebody said, well, I'll show them. I'm going to take his wife. Abimelech says, no. If you do that, you're going to die. Because better you die than all of us. Even this pagan king understood that. Sin always has consequences. Sin always Always has consequences always you might get away with it for a time just like Isaac did it might even feel good because doesn't sin feel good yeah it does I would be a fool to sit up here and tell you oh don't do sin because it doesn't feel good no it does feel good for a time for a moment The passing pleasures of sin it's there and then comes what the wages of sin is what death because there's always death attached to sin always both physical and spiritual for those who ultimately reject Christ you see there was another LAPD officer who also found herself responding to a burglary call at a jewelry store she was working what we called a u-boat we called it a u-boat because that was the designation u937 or excuse me it was like u uh nine u37 so the u meant it was a report taking car one officer she didn't have a partner so her job was to go around to the calls where the guy was or the or the girl the bad guys were gone it was just a report non-threatening Well, she just so happened to be right around the corner. The witness said, hey, someone just broke into the jewelry store on the corner of this street and this street, uh, but I just saw him run out with something. Send help. And so she was right around the corner, so she responds. The guy's gone. She takes the report, calls the owner, and basically the same story as ours, and then leaves. Three weeks later, the detective working the burglary desk... Uh, gets something that she had forgotten was happening the whole time she was in the store and as he's looking at something and of course what do burglary or what do jewelry stores have inside of them usually video cameras well somehow she had forgotten this i don't know how and he's looking at this tape and she's doing this And he's like, "What is she doing? Is she like scratching her back? Is she, is she dancing? I mean, what is going on with this officer?" And then they do a close-up, and they realize everywhere she's stepping, there's what? There's diamonds. Internal affairs gets involved. They find the diamonds in her possession. She loses her job. But they didn't stop there. She is in jail. She went to jail for what she did. Sin always has consequences. And when I heard this story just like a year after my experience in that jewelry store, the fear of God came upon me because I thought that could have been me on the nightly news. There are always, always always painful consequences to sin don't be fooled the second response to temptation is to disbelieve to ignore the word of God to say God I know better than you to disobey and to try to find blessing your way to rationalize to excuse to sin and then to cover it up well, there is a proper response to temptation, and what is it? Between those two, what is the proper response to temptation? Trust God and obey. When you discover diamonds trapped in the soles of your shoes, walk the diamonds back. walk them back in. Trust God and obey. And if we are to do this, then we must be prepared. By at least following three principles And I'm sure there's more principles we could find But I just want to pull three principles from our text That will help us to be properly prepared to respond to temptation I want to go through these quickly First, first principle is this If you're going to trust God and obey Do it because you fear God rather than men Do it because you fear God rather than men Of course in verse 9 Isaac was more afraid of man than his all-powerful God Which is why he lied and we fear God. Why? Because we know that God is capable of punishment. Anyone ever have a woodshed growing up? And lived to tell a tale? Maybe that's another lived to tell the tale story. Anyone? Woodshed? When your dad said, Son, grab my belt, meet me behind the woodshed. What did that mean? A whooping. And I probably deserved it. Does God punish us? Yeah. In fact, Hebrews 12 makes it pretty clear that the son that the father loves, he what? He disciplines. God's discipline is a sign of his love. In fact, it is the most loving thing that God could do. Because if God were to leave us in our sin, that's the worst thing he could do. In Romans 1, when it said he gave them over to their sin, that is the worst possible judgment that God could pronounce on us. To give them over. And so the son that God loves, he punishes. Why? Because anything that helps me become more like Christ is for my good. Amen? Isn't that what the gospel is about? It's because of the gospel that we can become more like Christ. It's because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so God will punish us. We should fear that. But that's not all. We should also fear disrespecting and dishonoring God. In fact, my wife tells a story uh, of her somewhat wilder high school days here in uh, Pasadena, Texas. And she would do things that she knew her father or the Lord would disapprove of. And she got caught one day. And when her father found out, he just broke down, sobbing. Because he was so broken, at what his daughter, the choices she had made. He hadn't even issued sentence. He hadn't even talked about a woodshed. And in that moment, what do you think happened to my wife's heart? It broke her because she realized how she had hurt and grieved her father. And do you realize that when we sin, when we choose to ignore the Word of God, when we choose to trust our own understanding and make our own way against God, That we do the same thing. We grieve the heart of our Father who sent His Son when we were still enemies to die in our place on a cross. Fear God. Not just because He's got a really, really big belt, but fear God because you don't want to dishonor Him. You fear disrespecting Him and spitting on the cross when you sin psalm 128 one states blessed are all who fear the lord who walk in his ways well there's a second principle we can draw from this text trust god and obey by talking to yourself rather than listening to yourself trust god and obey by talking to yourself rather than listening to yourself chris that makes no sense do you need prozac are you having conversations with yourself explain yourself what does that mean well in verse seven isaac talks himself in a line do you see that notice what it says the men of the place ask he says she's my sister and then it says for he was past tense afraid to say my wife that word thinking that's not in the original hebrew language that was inserted there by the the editors and the interpreters of this text because in the original language it's clear that what's about to come he's not actually saying this is going through his mind and when it's going through his mind and god does this sometimes he he shows us the heart or the motive of a king or a person or a people group or something to show us that it's always the motive it's always the belief that drives the action and so in this moment isaac begins to talk himself in to sin and what is he thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of my, my wife, Rebecca, for she is beautiful. He's talking himself into sin. But what does Psalm one nineteen eleven say? Thy word I have treasured in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against thee. When we hide God's word in our heart, when we meditate on it, when we study it, when we strive to, to live it and apply it in our life, in a proactive constant way we do what Romans 12 2 says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed how? what does it say? by the renewing of our mind for those of you who use the internet you Firefox or Explorer whatever you use there's a little button called the refresh button what does the refresh button do? when you push the refresh button it brings up the most accurate present up to date information on your screen When you are faced with temptation and your flesh begins to talk yourself into sin and rationalize why it's okay and why you might not get caught and it's really not all that bad and there's other people that have done it and it was okay for them so I can probably do it too. And you begin to talk yourself into the sin, take a moment, hit the refresh button and allow the word of God which you have hidden in your heart To begin to renew your mind so that in that moment you're reminded this is what God has said. And this is what God has told me to do. And in this moment, I love and fear God and I will not dishonor him. Therefore, I will listen to you, God. I will trust you and I will obey. Did you get that? And that's what Isaac should have done. He should have remembered the words from verses three to five but instead he forgot those he began to rationalize and give in and talk himself into sin but we have got to talk ourselves out and it's only the word of god that can do that Well, there's a third principle trust god and obey by believing that god's blessings are infinitely satisfying trust god and obey by believing that god's blessings are infinitely satisfying Against all common human wisdom, Isaac stays in the land of Gerar when everyone else went to Egypt to find food. Why? Because he knew that the Lord blesses obedience and rewards those who honor him. And when we're tempted to go after the passing, temporary pleasures of sin, we must go back to the lasting promises of Scripture. Passing pleasures of sin, lasting promises of Scripture. Choose. Which one is going to fulfill you? In fact, isn't that what James 1.25 says? Remember James 1, again, we don't have time to look there. Talking about the forgetful hearer or the effectual doer. Sometimes we hear God's word, we walk out that door, and we just totally forget what we've just heard. But what honors the Lord when we effectually do? And then James says what? The effectual doer shall be blessed in what he does. There is blessing that comes from doing actively the work of God. And that's what the promise of Scripture is. So you remind yourself how your faithful God has blessed past obedience. How He will continue to bless future obedience. And when we're tempted to give in to the temptation, we must remind ourselves that the passing pleasure of sin cannot begin to compare to the eternal blessings of the Lord. I just want to make a note. I've talked a lot about blessing in this message, and I... Don't want you to walk out these doors with an unbiblical view of blessing. Because there's a lot of that today. Sometimes the blessing of God does not take the form that we most desire. Sometimes, guys, I'm sorry, it may not be that Ferrari or even a Chevy Camaro. That may not be God's blessing for you. It may not be money or possessions or success or fame. It may not even be granting our most cherished desire. Sometimes God's blessing is not what we want, but what we need. Did you get that? Sometimes it's not what we want. It's what we need. And God knows what we need, doesn't he? Sometimes it's a trial to make us more holy. Chris, wait a minute. You're saying a trial is a blessing from God? Yeah. Because the less sin in my life, the more peace I have with my wife. The more deep relationship I have with my daughters and with my church. Sometimes a blessing is, exact, uh, is exactly a trial what we need sometimes it's peace other times it's persecution did God promise you that he was going to die so that you could live a comfortable persecution suffering free existence is that why Jesus died for you church why did Jesus die for you so that you could live like him and then go out into the world and proclaim the gospel because this is not our home we're aliens and strangers here that's why he died So that you would glorify him by participating in his purposes. Sometimes it is persecution. Sometimes God's blessing comes to us here on earth. And sometimes you are not going to see it until you get to heaven. Sometimes you never see that until we go to be with the Lord. No matter what it is though, you can rest assured that it comes from a good and loving God who always knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. That God's blessings are infinitely satisfying and that they only come because of Christ and his finished work on the cross. Lest you or I think that if I just legalistically do on the outside what God's commanded that God's going to bless me. Because you realize even when God blesses obedience that's not necessarily because of your obedience. What is that from? Why can you obey, Christian? Do you obey because you just worked really hard and you discipline yourself? Why do you obey? Because of the cross. Because of what Jesus did. That is what enables us to obey. And that becomes, through the gospel, and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the avenue of God's blessing in our life. So even when God's blessing your obedience, just recognize it's still because of Jesus. Or else we will get trapped into this legalistic sense of If I just do, then God's required to bless Did you get that? There's a, that could be a whole sermon right there I'm just trying to summarize it for us There's two primary responses to temptation You can trust and obey Or you can disbelieve and disobey There were two police officers Who both had diamonds trapped on the soles of their shoes The second officer gave in to temptation Walked the diamonds out And walked right into prison But when I, that first officer Walked the diamonds back I didn't go to jail But that's not all You see, I had been trying to share the gospel with my partner For many months This was like John Wayne embodied In in the uniform Of a Los Angeles police officer I mean, he actually walked like this You know, I think he'd been on a motorcycle a little bit too long and he was a gunslinger and whenever i would bring up christ he would begin to mock and ridicule me but you know he didn't have diamonds on his shoes i was the only one that had them because i went right he went left and he was so impressed that i just immediately walked up without even saying anything and walked back into the store he was like weren't you even tempted a little bit i mean you know maybe we could have worked out a deal you know you take the left boot i take the right boot he was so impressed i didn't even pause i just walked him back in and gave him back so because of my testimony we had the opportunity to have dinner that night and i got to share the gospel with this guy for the first time you see you can't outguess the blessings of god even something as simple as praying for opportunities to share my faith with john wayne who didn't want to hear it and god opened the door Let's decide today that if you or I ever find diamonds in the soles of our shoes, we will not take one more step without turning around and obediently walking those diamonds back. For if we trust that God will do what He has promised He will do, then we can joyfully rest assured that obedience in the face of temptation to sin will always result in God's blessing in our life. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is really easy to preach and very difficult to do consistently. And I recognize that. But I also know that your word tells us that everything pertaining to life and godliness we have in Jesus Christ. And so it's not really an issue of lacking what we need to obey. It's really sometimes an issue of just learning how to appropriate what we already have in Christ. And so I ask and pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to do that even now. That there may be someone here right now who is struggling with temptation. Maybe there's someone this morning who has successfully covered up sin. And even as they hear your word this morning, they are being confronted to uncover it and repent. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace and remind them of what your word says, that with confession comes grace and mercy and love that you would give them the grace to turn from their sin and trust you. Lord, we long to be moms and dads and husbands, sons and daughters, employees, friends, who look at temptation and turn to you. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would give us grace to obey, to trust you with all of our heart so that you might be honored And you might use us more for your glory and for the sake of Christ in his name. It's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.